I happen to be married to what is called a third culture kid. A third culture kid is a kid that has one nationality or one cultural identity in their family, but they grow up in another country. And my husband was a son of missionaries that served in Indonesia and Malaysia early in his life. And so he is a third culture kid. He, he has his American culture that he received from his family and even his place of birth. But early in his formation, he spent years in these countries in Southeast Asia and absorbed that culture as well. And this phenomenon of third culture kids is, is a phenomenon in which they develop their own culture, in which they have uh, something that is, is not, in my husband's case, Southeast Asian, something that is not exclusively American, but is his own space in which he in some ways feels like he doesn't belong anywhere and in other ways feels like he belongs everywhere. I grew up in the same house, in the same community for the first 18 years of my life. But since then, I've moved about eight times and lived and traveled internationally. And I've begun to experience a little bit of what this third culture experience is like. Maybe you have too, where many places feel like home. And so I've considered myself for, for years as a third culture person. And uh, sometimes I feel more at home in an airport, not right now, but more at home in an airport than anywhere else. Now you don't have to get on an airplane or to move to, to know some of this experience. Because these days, the world is changing right underneath our feet, isn't it? The only constant thing is change. We are relocated even if we don't move by changing technology. And this last year, relocated into a whole new world with this reality of the pandemic and also our awakening to what some of the realities are for many of our siblings um, in faith around the world and around the country. Our ultimate home, home is, is not meant to be, in the spiritual sense, a physical place. St. Augustine said, we must fly to our beloved homeland. There our Father is, and there is everything. The journey of the spiritual life is finding that space that is ours with God, that third space in our lives that is in neither one polarity or the other. And we find that space, fortunately or unfortunately, through the relocation experiences of our life. Now it's possible that we wouldn't have the Bible or the Christian tradition at all without the experience of relocation. The Bible originated in an ancient tribal group who was moving around because of famine and political change. This, this small tribe of Israel always found themselves on the move. And the Bible is the story of constant relocation. 
Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, Jacob out of his home and, and into the home of his uncle, Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, Esther living as a refugee and finding herself a stranger, a, a third culture person in the king's house. Ruth moving with her mother-in-law away from her homeland, the empires of Assyria and Persia forcing the Jewish people to move. Jesus' mother and father, Mary and Joseph, fleeing to Egypt after his birth. Jesus not having anywhere to lay his head. And today we're looking at Abraham and Sarah who moved around a lot, this, this founding story of the Jewish faith and, and the Christian faith is a story of relocation. The Bible is a book of relocation and change. Now, I find that somewhat comforting because, as I said, we're always relocating and always changing. Life is changes in stages and in history unfolding. And our world right now has 80 million displaced people. That's two times the population of California, the most populous state. That's a big number and it's hard to relate to. But as I've traveled and gotten to know many friends in Africa, I've realized how many people are, are growing up and living and trying to make lives in spaces that are not their own. This, this story of relocation is a human story, and it is the story of our scripture. And our faith is, is not meant to just tolerate and survive change. It's meant to be born of it. It is meant to take us around in, in circles in a desert, on long journeys with no end in sight, through dark, starless nights, our faith doesn't depend on the happy and secure end where everything works out, which is so, so much of good news because that is rarely our human experience. God just keeps showing up in the midst of our changing world and our changing lives. So as we look at um, Abram and Sarai, who in this passage in Genesis 17, find new names, Abraham and Sarah, given by God as a mark of, of their covenant with God. We remember that, that the story of Abraham began five chapters earlier in Genesis 12, when God said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So Abram's journey begins when he is 75 years old, old enough to get an immunization shot for sure in California. Abraham moves at least five times. He tangles with a foreign king. He gains and he loses his wealth. He has a son with his wife's maidservant, and then he parts ways with his nephew, all with the words of God ringing in his ear, I will bless you and multiply you so that you will be a blessing. 
And now again in Genesis 17, this is actually the third time there's a promise in Genesis 12, this promise that comes in Genesis 15, and now again in Genesis 17, the promise is still there. Abraham has lived with it. He has felt its breath down his neck as he has journeyed, and he has tried to help God make it happen, tried to engineer that promise of, of multiple generations following him, has tried to engineer that to happen. But he's 99, and he's probably done hoping and trying that God will work in any sort of different way. But God is not done with promising. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, guesses at Abraham's internal narrative. He writes, yes, Abraham may have been saying, yes, but I am very old. Yes, but she is not pregnant, Sarah. Yes, but we only have Ishmael. And Brueggemann continues, it is the naked voice of the gospel that counters his tiredness. Can you imagine, Abram, a son born right then? Can you imagine a covenant kept to countless generations to come? Can you imagine a land given to landless people? Not can you implement it, or can you plan it, or can you achieve it, only can you entrust possibilities to God that go beyond your own capacity for control and fabrication. And Abraham laughed. He laughed because this was impossible, and it was clear that God had no idea what he was up against. Abraham laughed because he had been hustling and giving up everything to see that that promise would become a reality. Abraham laughed because it was too late and he was too tired. Abraham laughed because God was still daring to promise after all this time. And there was something in him that knew that despite all the disappointment and despair, that God was right. God is relocating Abraham again, not physically this time, we don't see him moving, but in the way that matters most, relocating Abraham inside of hope, not because everything is easy or it will fall into place or it will be happily ever after, but because God knows hope is not found in a cozy destination, but in a journey. God wants Abraham and, and us to, to find our home in the deepest part of ourselves. The deepest part that, that is not our ego, that is not self-reliant, that is not control. It is the homeland of God's love and delight for us. It is the place of God's blessing. It is a, a third place that is not here or there, but is, but is within us, that beloved homeland that Augustine speaks of, where God is and where our souls are, the place where we are in covenant 
with God. So what defines that space? Well, I think this passage helps us understand what that space looks like. And the word that, that God uses in this text is blessing. I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. Now this is in no way a technical definition and it doesn't come from anywhere besides my reflection on this text. But it seems to me that one definition of blessing for God in the story of Abraham, and I think our story as well, blessing is making space for, making space for someone else. God says, I am making space for you in this story. I am making space for your children. I am making space within you so that you can find healing and wholeness and grounding and hope and a way forward. I make space for those things so that you can make space for others. You can be space makers in this world. This weekend, I heard the story of a young man in Oakland who began an organization called Compassion in Oakland. And he started this organization this past year because he was so disturbed by the stories of, of the abuse and assault and harassment against Asian Americans that has spiked this year after the coronavirus pandemic. He was disturbed by particularly the stories of elderly Asian Americans not feeling safe to leave their homes. So this young man, Jacob Azevedo, who has grown up in Oakland, said, I will go with you. Who else wants to volunteer to be a chaperone? And over 400 people have volunteered to, to chaperone Asian Americans, particularly elderly Asian Americans who don't feel safe to go out in the streets, to help them get their, their groceries done and get to the doctor. These volunteers, these chaperones are making space for others to feel safe, making space for, for others to flourish. And isn't that what God wants for us? That, that God makes space for us right where we are in the midst of our relocations. God is always working to, to create that space for us so that we can make that space for others. And so as we allow ourselves to experience the blessing of God, the space that God creates for us, we then bless others, bless the world, create space for others to be also seen and heard and loved and held. Amen.